John chapter 6, verses 26 through 40. So, should have begun it last week, but uh, now we're, we're done with our Christmas series, and we're beginning, I'm coming in a little late, uh, a few chapters in, to our John series. Now, we're going to be in John all the way through the book. It's, it's this quarter, which goes through, what, the end of February, end of March, and then picks up again April or something. Anyway, yeah, new ones March, April, May. So we're going to be in John now until the summer. Going to do the whole book. The truth to believe. Two big concepts. Two. That's how good I am at math. That's what I. Two big concepts throughout the book of John. Truth. The nature of truth. What is truth? Pilate's going to even ask Jesus, "What is truth?" Truth and belief. And we have the truth that we are supposed to believe. That's what we're going to be looking at throughout. Now, we're, we're going to work around this title. Sometimes we'll move away from that a little bit, and sometimes we'll hit it pretty hard. Like this morning, uh, our message is believing is seeing. Now, uh, celebrations, oh, you're, you're, you're there, you're ready to go. Let's talk about a, one celebration this morning we had in our discovery class, our, our new members class. We had seven people come to that, so that's exciting. Um, uh, uh, some of them are, are uh, well, I don't know when they're going to join, doesn't matter, but that's interest, that's God doing things, that's God bringing people in and hopefully making them a part of our church family. Uh, our memory verse, now we haven't gone over this in I guess a month, so, but it's the same memory verse we've been working on. There's our, our Christmas background, just to, remember, uh, to help, help you remember, and your bookmark. And you might need that since it's been a while since we did it. Let's see how I'm going to do without my bookmark. Read it with me, because y'all going to help. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. The glory as the one and only Son from the Father full of grace and truth, John 1, 14. Sounded like we observed. observed. Okay, that's, that's where we messed up. I said beheld, didn't I? I'm, I'm reverting back to the old ways. And, and we observed his glory. O-B-S-E-R-V-E-D. B-E-H-E-L-D. Yeah, it doesn't fit, so i got to count the letters. All right, we observed his glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, John 1, 14. All right, see, I didn't have to look, um, and I got it mostly right. And you did too. Good job. So, we'll be with this verse for a couple of more months. We'll know it. Next week, it'll be a little harder. A couple more weeks. Yeah, when we start in March, though. Okay, so a month and a half we'll, we'll be with this verse, and then we'll, we'll move on. So, it'll be a little harder next week. Now... A few weeks ago, remember back before Christmas, I talked about Rosh Hashanah. Y'all remember when I mentioned that in my sermon, the Jewish New Year? And I talked about how at the New Year, they, uh, the, the Jews would kind of look at their lives and, 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 and talk about God's book, uh, 
the, the, the one he records everything in, and, and they would wonder, did this past year, did I, did I have more good than bad? Did my good outweigh my bad? What do I need to do for this coming up year in order to, to make it right? They want to balance the scales, do the right things. They want to do the work. The, the, what is the work that I have to do? This morning, or in this passage... This group is eventually, this group that's talking to Jesus, is eventually going to ask the same question. Well, what work do I have to do to have eternal life? That, that's the question they're going to ask. What, what works can we do to be saved? What works? What, what are the, what, what's the list? And now, this is after they approach Jesus just so they can get some free food out of him. That, that's the first uh, first part of it, and we'll talk about it. And it was with many of the dialogues, especially in John. The beginning is just the opening for uh, Jesus to take the conversation where he wants it to go. The, the opening question has very little to do with what's going to take place in the following 10, 15 20 verses. Go all the way back to Nicodemus. Go read the, the woman at the well in, in chapter... Have we, have we done that one? See, I'm even... Yeah, yeah, the Samaritan woman, chapter 4. She asked a question, and he's like, ah, good question, but I'm not going to answer that one. Let's move on here. Same thing happening here. Jesus has a plan. Jesus has a job. Jesus, he says here, he has God's will to fulfill. And, 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 and questions about, well, how are we going to get something free to eat? Those are not going to be a distraction to him. And we'll see that as we move through it. So we can talk about bread, we can talk about food, but what this passage is really hitting home for us, our, our big idea, is that we want the ease of seeing is believing. But faith means that believing is seeing. We want to flip that. Oh, if we could just see it, we'd believe it. And, and we like the phrase. We use the phrase, well, seeing is believing. I saw it, now I believe it. And Jesus, and he's going to make this even clearer. I might even use the same title when we talk about Thomas toward the end of the book. When he tells Thomas, you believe, Thomas, because you have seen, blessed are those... Who believe and will never see. Except I, I think we do see. And that's, that's what we're going to look at this morning. I think, we, I think once we believe, we do see it. We don't understand it fully. But we see it in ways that I don't think even the disciples could really grasp. When they saw it face to face. Because remember, they saw it face to face. They saw all the teaching for three years, and it still surprised him, when he, surprised him when he was crucified. And then they gave up. He's dead. He's gone. It's all over. And then, oh, lo and behold, he rose from the dead. Well, now he's, now he's ascended. I don't, well, what are we going to do now? On and on and on. They saw it, and they struggled to believe. And we, we with hearts of faith, believe, and we see it with eyes of faith. Because believing is seeing. 
John chapter 6, verses 26 through 40. Jesus answered, answered this group that showed up. If you read back, they don't even ask about food. They ask, oh, when did you get here, Jesus? Like they hadn't been looking for him. Like the whole reason they were over here wasn't to find him. Oh, well, my goodness, Jesus, weren't expecting you here. That's the tone of their question. Well, when did you get here? Have mercy. Imagine meeting you here in your hometown where you live. That's just crazy talk. Jesus sees right through this fake, well, I, can't, I don't even know how we ran into each other. And he says, truly, I tell you, you're looking for me. You didn't just stumble on me. You're looking for me. But not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for food that perishes, but for food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God? Or what can we do to what can we work to work? The works of God. They, I mean, they're really into the work. Jesus replied, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign then, they asked him, are you going to do so we may see and believe you? They asked, What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, in looking at this passage, because Jesus basically, well, he ignores their first question and and, and answers this question that, that they didn't ask, but he knows that's really what they wanted, and then goes on to... And I'm, because we, we have a progression here, we've kind of got to build up to the main idea. We, we've got to get there. We've got to get to the point. And we're going to get to that point by looking at all the things this group got wrong. The first thing they had wrong was their motives. In verses 26 and 27. Of course, they come and ask this question, when did you get here? But he knows immediately that that's not what they were coming for. You're looking for me for food. 
That's why you're looking for me. You, you, you just ate from all that, that, the fish and loaves that, that we shared there uh, across the lake. And you just want more of that. You want more free food. As I said, Jesus ignored the question they asked, when did you get here? He confronted the question that they didn't ask, the one about, hey, are you going to feed us again? And he answered the one they didn't know to ask. I'm reminded of, of how Jesus told us the Holy Spirit would work in us and through us and for us when it said when scripture says that the holy spirit will pray when all we can do is groan but the holy spirit knows what to pray for what to ask the father for these folks come to jesus and they 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 ask this question that has nothing to do with anything they really want this free food he sees it but he begins to answer the question that they didn't even know to ask it's actually a pretty good evangelism strategy it's a pretty good way to have a conversation with folks when when you're looking for an opportunity to tell them about Jesus underneath the question that they might actually ask behind it is very likely the question that they don't know to ask but you know the answer to he tells them you're 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 only here for food, not because you saw the signs. Now, in, in this passage especially, but throughout the Gospel of John, signs are different from miracles. Okay? They saw the miracle. They ate the miracle. Their bellies were filled with the miracle. They had no doubt about the miracle because they showed up wanting another one. But they missed the sign. The meaning of sign in the Gospel of John is that it points beyond the physical, beyond concrete reality, to the reality of revelation. There's something behind the miracle. The miracle meant something. It was for a purpose other than feeding them. Good, you ate, but don't miss the fact that I'm giving you spiritual food, not physical food. They missed it. They missed the sign because they were so focused on the miracle. A sign is a miracle with meaning. And Jesus tells them, look, instead of seeking temporary filling, look for eternal fulfillment. Don't work for the food that perishes. Elsewhere he's going to say that, that you put in your mouth and comes out later. Don't even stick around. It's not that great. Don't worry about that. Don't work for food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life. Don't look for things that are temporary. Don't focus on, well, i got to have this right now and that right now. And don't seek to fulfill the, the consumer mindset and the consumer need, the, the grocery store idea that we come to church and pick and choose what we want. We go to the buffet. I like that. I like that. Don't like that. Don't like that. So I'll eat what I want to, leave all the rest because it doesn't matter. And then when I even get tired of what I'm eating, I just throw it in the trash and move on. No, that is not what he tells us to do. He says, come and and find what you need for eternity. Come and be filled with me. 
he says. But, but they only want him for their own desires. Their motives are wrong. They have just tried in the previous chapter to make him king. I believe it was in the previous chapter. They've tried to take hold of him and force him to be their king. Why? Because they were thinking, yes, finally, we will have the Messiah as king. No, finally, we'll get rid of the Romans. This guy seems like he's powerful enough. He could take care of them if he wanted to. That was their motive. They only wanted him for political reasons. It's not unlike believers today. We, we, we follow Jesus for what we can get out of him. We follow him and pull from him, pull from scripture. Proof texts, snippets to justify our own prejudices or to support our own politics or to confirm our own culture. Broadly speaking. But it doesn't stop there. As believers, we also want to come to Jesus and have him fulfill our desires with the wrong motives just because we want something flashy. We get bored with what Eugene Peterson, if you're familiar, familiar with the Message Bible, it's not a translation, but it's a, a beautiful paraphrase of the Bible. What Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. The Christian life. A long obedience in the same direction. We get bored with that. We get bored reading the Bible over and over and over again. We get bored with daily discipleship. We get bored with weekly discipleship. Oh, we're going to sit around and talk about a verse again. We get bored with small group iron sharpening iron. We want something flashy. We come to Jesus and we want a miracle or a sign. We come to church and we want flashy sermons and snot slinging and, and tear throwing. And we want snorting and hollering or we want new illustrated Bible studies. Or we, we want miracles and signs. We want excitement and festivities. And what Jesus wants is that long obedience in the same direction. We, we have two extremes, and I, I'm afraid that we tend, even in a Baptist church, where we would uh, be repulsed or at least eschew any charismatic tendencies, but we want some of those same things. We want it to be flashy. We want something exciting. We want, do it this way now. Perform it this way. Dance for me, monkey. We would never say that to Jesus, but that's what we want. It's what our lives show. It's what our reactions and responses show. And that leads to what we would call, what I would call, excesses in the charismatic movement where you have people having the Holy Spirit of laughter. Find me that, please. Being slain in the Spirit. You're not going to find that one either. But then you can get so dry that it's just theology. The we don't want that either because that is not Scripture. 
Jeremiah, we, 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 I quoted this verse in um, our discovery class. You gave me your words. Somebody with their packet, I've forgotten it already. You gave me your words and I ate, they were sweet to my taste. I ate them. Your words are sweet as honey, I believe is what Ezekiel said. That's, that's not boring. But we want it livened up. Do something. We get bored. We come to Jesus for what we want. Not for what he wants to give us. Our, our motives, their motives were wrong. Verses 28 and 29, they had wrong actions. What can we do to perform the works of God? What can we work to work the works of God? What actions can we go through? Where's our checklist to earn God's favor? So this year we can be on our balance of good and bad, our scales of good and bad. We can be more good than bad. What can we do? What are those things we can perform to earn God's favor? If we are honest, even we Baptists who are salvation by faith alone... Through, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone. We still want something tangible, some assurance. I know I'm saved, but, but if I do these things, I'm more saved. I'm certain of my salvation. And, and for some of us, it's as simple as, well, at least my name's on a roll somewhere. Whoop-de-dad-gum-do. I got dunked one time. I've been baptized. But have you ever believed? We, we still want to categorize, well, I did these things. I know I'm going to heaven because I did these things. I'm going to share it again on Facebook. So if you're on Facebook, you can see it. I'm probably going to share it every time I ever see it. An incredible three-and-a-half-minute snippet of a sermon by, the, by a man named Alistair Begg. Uh, he, he's, he's Scottish. So he's great to listen to anyway. He, he doesn't sound like me. So it, it, it's wonderful just to hear him preach. And in this sermon snippet, he talks about the thief on the cross. He talks about how he went to heaven. And, and he, he paints this picture of, of when he gets to heaven, when the thief on the cross gets to heaven. And the angel says... What are you doing here? And the thief says, I don't know. Yeah, well, what do you mean you don't know? Sounds much better in his Scottish accent, I'm telling you. What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. And, and, and he goes on and says, well, do you understand justification by faith alone? Never heard of it. Were you involved in a Bible study? Were you involved in a church? No, never. Do you, do you have any, any concept of man's sinfulness and God's holiness? Not really, no. Why are you here? And his response is, the man on the middle cross said I could come. What did the thief do to get to heaven? He was cussing Jesus a few minutes before, but then somewhere along the way he realizes, 
Mm. I think he's right and I'm wrong. And he tells the other guy to cool it. And says, this man's done nothing wrong. Something clicked. And Jesus says, surely this day you will be with me in paradise. He performed no action. He did nothing that we think we have to do. Didn't walk an aisle, didn't pray a prayer, didn't get baptized. Never part of a Bible study. Couldn't explain salvation to you. No Roman road, no three circles, no CWT, no EE, no faith evangelist. None of them. He couldn't tell you any of that. Probably could not quote a single scripture. And yet, because the man on the middle cross said he could come. And yet here we think that we have to do these things in order to be saved. They did too. And Jesus says, you want to know what work you need to do? Believe. That's the work. Belief. Well, this threw them for a loop. They are workers. They are workers. Their entire religion, as they understood it, was built on work. But you don't earn, you don't work your way to heaven. If you could earn heaven, you could lose heaven. So you don't earn salvation. They were focused on the wrong actions because they had the wrong motives. Then they asked the wrong question in verses 30 through 33. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? Uh, Paraphrase, dance for us, monkey. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Can you prove that our faith will be well-founded? Can you prove to us that you are who you say you are? Oh, by the way, and give us what we want, full bellies, at the same time. Seeing was believing for them. If we see you do this on command, in the way that we want to, in the midst of this particular conversation, then we'll believe. They were asking for what he could do for them. How he could entertain them. How he could amaze them. What can you do for me, Jesus? All right, I like the deal we're making here. Mm, this bread of life you're talking about, still not certain what that is, but it sounds like I get to eat forever and not be hungry. All right, I like it. Uh, I, I like what you're saying. It, it sounds like a good trade. Um, what can you do for me, though, to prove that your promise is true? What else, actually, is what they're asking? What else can you do for me? This isn't enough. I need something more here. The bargains we try to make with Jesus to accept the free gift of salvation. Okay, Jesus, I'll come to you if you promise to heal this or to stop that, to fix this to give me that then I'll come once I see 
then I'll believe. See, the question is not what you can do for me, Jesus, because that answer has, I mean, that, that question's already been answered. It hadn't quite been answered for them yet. The cross was still in the future. But for us today, it's been answered. He's done everything he needs to do for us. And if he doesn't do another thing for us, we don't need anything else. We've gotten more than we deserved. But because of their wrong motive, because of their wrong action, they now ask the wrong question. And because they ask the wrong question, and he gives them an answer they weren't expecting, they have, in verse 34, the wrong response. Sir, give us this bread always. What bread? My Father gives you the true bread. Verse 32. Gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. For the bread of God is not the one that or the thing that comes down from heaven, but it's the one who comes down from heaven. And their response is, give us this bread always. He tells them the bread is a who, not a what. That it is life-giving. That it comes from God. Well, they're still thinking of manna. That's still in their mind. Even though they know manna wasn't life-giving, they had to gather it every day. They knew it would spoil. It, was, it didn't last forever. It wasn't eternal because the only time they could keep it was across the Sabbath. Otherwise, they had to gather it every day. If they tried to keep it overnight, it was nasty by the next day. And yet, that is still what they're thinking. Oh, oh, there's some different bread then that you're going to give us from heaven. This life-giving bread. Oh, oh, we want that bread. We want the what. We don't want the who. Regularly, we come to gatherings like this. Church on Sunday morning, connect groups or discipleship groups. And we want the what. Maybe... It's the what of, I'm being a good church member by attending this, check. Maybe it's, well, if I go, God will fix this other thing, check. And we don't go for the who. We don't show up for the who. How can he perform for us? How can he, what can he do for us. How can we have this bread always? These guys, these folks were selfish and materialistic. What can I get out of Jesus? They only want their preferences and their desires met. They aren't interested in what they actually need. Jesus has almost just put it bluntly, he will finally in the next section. But he's put it bluntly enough that they ought to be thinking, 
maybe he's not talking about food. But seeing is believing. And, and, and they don't see it. So they can't believe it. Because they are just wanting their own needs met. And so they get it in the wrong order. 35 and 36. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. You've seen, and you still don't believe. Why? Because seeing is not believing. How many miracles, how many teachings over the course of three years did the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the people that followed him and the ones who are going to walk away here at the end of the chapter, end of chapter 6, how much did they see and they never believed? Because seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. He says, come to me. Actually, he says, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty. Those are parallel ways of saying the same thing. Coming to him and believing in him are the same thing. And he says, no one who believes, no one who comes, no one who believes, or let's say it positively, everyone who believes We'll see. You'll never be hungry. You'll never be thirsty again. Is he talking about physical hunger and physical thirst? This means no. Because we know we get hungry again, unless you have a stone in your common bile duct, then you're not as hungry. I hear. We're going to be hungry, we're going to be thirsty. You eat breakfast, and by lunchtime you're hungry, and by supper time, and, and over and over it goes. So we know he is not talking about that. What are you talking about? I don't understand. You don't see, do you? It's because you don't believe. You want to see, you want to never hunger again, and then you'll believe. Let me tell you, if you'll just believe, you'll never hunger or thirst again. Never hunger and thirst for the thing that you cannot get without Jesus. Oh, you can go and work and you can earn the money for the bread and you can't earn enough money for eggs right now, but you can get bread still. You, you can get what you need to fill your belly and you can do it over and over again. But you can never get what your soul needs without the bread from heaven. They want to see and then believe. And the crazy thing is, and what Jesus tells them is, you have already seen. You saw the sign. You saw me feed everybody on that hillside. You saw it. You knew it. You knew there wasn't enough food there. And you saw me make it for everybody. And you missed it. Because all you saw was free food. You saw the miracle and you didn't see the sign. You saw what I could, you think I could do for you and not what I can do in you. 
Jesus, if you'll just, if you'll just dance for me, then I'll believe you. And then he says, let me tell you what right belief is. Verses 37 through 40. Here's right belief. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Right belief. Verses 37, 38 shows us that God does the drawing and the giving. Verses 39 and 40 show us that we do the responding and believing. We have in these four verses God's sovereign election and our freedom to choose hand in hand, and those things don't go together in our logical apparatus and how we think and how we can put stuff together. They don't fit. It's like trying to take real Legos and, and, and attach them to bric-a-brox or whatever they call the fake ones. It's like, nope, those two things just don't go together. I cannot make those two things work. And yet God somehow sovereignly chooses, draws, elects, gives. Salvation is all his work. The man in the middle said, I could come. And yet we have to respond and believe. Respond to that message and believe it. And we have to have right belief. James is going to say later on, in a letter back to the church, y'all, even demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God and tremble at the fact. So there is belief, and then there is saving belief. There is a, a mental assent, and then there is knowledge that saves. In our discovery class, the example, one of the examples I use about salvation is that if I jump out of an airplane with a parachute on my back, and I know without a doubt that if I pull that ripcord, that parachute's going to come out, and it is going to save me from being a greasy spot on the ground. I know that. I know it with full confidence. Does that knowledge save me if I don't pull the cord? This means no. Now, I'm going to be a greasy spot. But I knew that cord would save me. I knew it. I knew all about the parachute. I could tell you the design. I could tell you what it's made of. I could tell you the physics involved. When I pull it and that little parachute comes out and that pulls the big parachute out and it opens and I know why it slows us down. I can tell you the physics of it and I can tell you how fast I was going, how fast I'm now going, and how, how to roll when I hit the ground so I don't break my legs. And I can, I can tell you all that stuff, but if I don't pull the cord, 
squish, splat, or as it used to sound in the Frogger video game on Atari, splooch. But acting on that belief is pulling that cord. We've been given the parachute, y'all. Jesus has come to save. You may believe, yeah, Jesus was a good guy. Yep, mm -hmm, like what he said. Sure, important stuff. But until you believe, saving belief, belief in who he said he was, Son of God, Savior of the world, belief in his atonement, and even now, I'm getting away from how much the, the, the guy on the cross knew, right? All he knew was, I believe you don't deserve this. I believe you are something more than either me or this guy is. Today you'll be in paradise. But he had not just mental assent this guy's something different in his heart he knew this guy has something I want right belief is knowing that Jesus has come to save and to see him as he says who he really is and believe Everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him. Now it sounds like it's saying seeing is believing, doesn't it? See Him and believe. No, it's not. It's not that the order is wrong, that Jesus said it wrong. You've got to see Jesus. You've got to know Him, know about Him, before you can know Him. The thief on the cross saw Him. Oh, don't know who this guy is, but I'm learning something about him here hanging on this cross. He saw him and then he believed. You see Jesus in Scripture. You see the gospel message plastered on the screen every Sunday at the end of the sermon. You should see Jesus in the people, the believers that you meet. Believers, you should be showing Jesus to people that you meet. They should see Jesus. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by seeing Jesus. But until you believe, you will never see Jesus. You'll never see all that he has for you. You'll never see the abundant life of John 10.10. 10. You'll never see the eternal life that he is talking about in this passage. You'll never see the access to the Father that we saw when the curtain was torn between the holy place and the holy of holies from top to bottom, giving us access to God. You'll never see his will for your life, which is the Great Commission and what we see even as Jesus's, uh, the will of Jesus or, or God's will for Jesus' life to bring people to God. You'll never see those things until you believe. Believing is seeing. 
Are you looking for what's next in your life? God's will in your life? Believe. Because when you believe, then you will see. This passage is your personal invitation. This passage is Jesus saying, believe in me. And if you will believe in him, you will see eternity. Paul understood the whole problem with seeing. Paul said, right now we see as through a glass darkly. We see a, a foggy mirror. We see a, 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 a rippled and dark window. We, we don't see as we will see, but we see something. We, we see more than we ever would have. Once we believe, we see the invisible. Because we're given new eyes and a new heart. You've seen Jesus. You've, you've heard him speak to them and to you. So now, believe. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 tells us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the belief. That's who Jesus said he is. The substitute, the, the salvation for our souls. You don't have the excuse that the thief on the cross had. You've got the whole story. What will you do with the whole story? The whole story requires a response. You have a next step to take this morning. There are going to be a few options on the screen of what next step that might be to, to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Believe. Believe unto salvation. Maybe it's to follow in baptism. That first obedience that response, that public profession of your faith. Maybe you need to conform your life to Christ. Maybe you are coming to Jesus even as a believer, asking him to perform for you, do something for me. And you need to get rid of that mindset and come to Jesus about the who and not the what. Maybe you want to make public your decision to join our church this morning. You can share your decision with us on a decision card in the uh, pouch in the seat in front of you. You can come forward and let me know and, and, uh, or uh, see one of our leaders afterward. Maybe you want a, a more explanation about how to trust Christ. A couple of deacons will be in the back, Lee and Kirk. I'll be up here at the front. Chelsea will be over here to my left. Maybe you want to talk to one of us, pray with one of us, grab us afterward. Whatever it is, you have a decision to make. You've heard the message. The message is for everybody here. Therefore, everybody here has a decision, a next step. What is it this morning that you need to believe so that you can truly see? Pray with me. Thank you, Lord.
that you draw, that you give salvation, that you give the sight, the belief, so that we can believe. And by believing, Lord, we see. We see you. We see Jesus. Not physically, not with our actual eyes. It's, to paraphrase Adrian Rogers, it's more real than that. We see with our hearts. We see that lamp to our feet and our light to our path. We see the invisible to be able to do the impossible. We see what you are and want for us so that we can see the path laid out in front of us. If we will just believe, we will see you. God, I pray that you will move on hearts this morning. Whatever decision needs to be made, Lord, you are the one that draws, not me. You work on hearts, not me, so take my feeble attempt at explanation and use it for your glory in the hearts of every person here. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So let's stand, let's sing. As you feel led, the stage is open. If you want to come pray, if you want to pray with somebody, you're welcome to do that. Whatever decision you have to make this morning, let's make it as God works on our hearts.